let's let's just jump right in then. Um, so yeah, I thought today would be fun to have a discussion about the the logos, and this is essentially following up on the discussions we had about the ideas of the um, the, the higher self and the magical personality working through the sort of the, the higher aspect of the self, the deeper mind, and integrating more aspects of our of our deeper self, our, our deeper mind. And we've talked in the past, I think, also about the, the tree of mind. It's referenced many times in the material. And that the, the tree of mind basically, you know, extends down into from the conscious mind to the unconscious and down into the 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 racial mind, the planetary mind. And then they say it goes down into the archetypical mind, the ar archetypes of our of our logos, which is the, the mind of the galaxy. Um, and so I figure we should at least start out explaining the logos before we dive into the nature of how the archetypes have evolved or are evolving and are affecting us. And I think that gives us more of a sense. If we can, if we can understand it, I think it gives us more of a sense of the, of the nature of, of all basically spiritual work as, as the, the progress of becoming more and more the archetypal mind and becoming more and more integrated with the infinite mind, the galactic mind, which is basically like the, the source of all of manifest creation in the, in this particular galaxy, which is like an experiment of consciousness. Yeah. So um, I guess session 13 was maybe when the logo started to be described uh, in the context of the first several distortions. That was 13.7. Um, so this start, this one was um, after this ha happened, but what they were talking about in session 13 was um, you know, the earliest first known thing in creation. They said that was infinity. The infinity is creation. And then from this infinity, then must have come what we experience as creation. What was the next step or the next evolvement? And Ross says infinity became aware. This was the next step. And then Don said, what, is, what happened after that? And then they say awareness led to the focus of infinity into infinite energy. You have called this by various vibrational sound complexes or names, most common to your ears being logos or love. And here there's a note by Toby Wheelock where the logos is also defined as the creative principle or love. According to Ra, the logos is the second distortion of intelligent infinity, which is basically what they're saying here, where the first distortion was the awareness um, which led to focus through free will, the uh, intelligent infinity, infinity into infinite energy, which is like the potential and the kinetic. In, intelligent infinity is the potential, and inf infinite energy is the kinetic. You have called this by various vibrational sound complexes. And then, so basically, saying that love is the same thing as logos is actually one of the most profound things they've said about it. Because, you, you know, the I, I love with a capital L here could mean that there's, you know, every every aspect of energy, every aspect of our creation is coming from the same thing, which is a love, a love that is acting out of free will. And this is like superseding all other concepts of love, that this love can be the, the source of all other loves, the source of all other desires for experience, desires for anything to, to, to be manifest in this in this reality. So maybe I could even ask ask you guys right there. Did, have, have you guys thought about that much? The, the does everything feel like it's coming from love? I think yeah. the way that that they talk about it, absolutely, because it 
you know, when you, when you're new to the material and they say everything comes from love, uh, you can be like, nah, man, there's hate in the world. But when you start really looking at it, they talk about love of self or love of other selves. So, I mean, you know, when you look at love that way, it's got a really broad definition. Yeah. I yeah, tend to explain. Go ahead, Nathan. I was just going to say that the term love is kind of misunderstood at least a lot of times too, for, for what Ra's referring to here. It's a much more powerful word than just kind of what we think of as like an attraction too. So I forgot the section where they explain it more, but it's something that Ra wasn't even able to explain within our words, um, what, what love actually even is. Sure. So I want to draw a parallel to the sort of um, the energy of bestowal and reception here and, and wondering if this is um, where with respect to the logos does the notion of a holographic or other self emerge? And, and is this, this aspect, the logos itself or the, the capability of it, is this the, the transcendence from, you know, a unified self to the idea of an other self. And again, only coming out of the idea that love energetically to me, I still bind at least in some way to this, um, this will to bestow. Um, so there's, there's this energy of giving or um, desire on another's behalf, I suppose. And so I'm just wondering if this is where that emerges um, the sense of an other self or not. I, you know, this this idea of the initial separation, I think we, we may touch on that later today because essentially like there's the two concepts of the initial um, sort of separation from the cosmic mind, which is the logos is essentially creating thoughts of, you know, having an, an, an experience of, of basically separateness from, 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 the, from the original thought it seems to be already occurring with this initiation of the logos, but the, what we think of, I think, as the other self is is behind the veil, which didn't come in place until later in the evolution of the galaxy. So I think that the we we could talk about the veil also is where the idea of the other self um, as a potential experience of self as a seemingly separate self that came in through the extension of the first distortion which they say, you know, happened halfway through the, or I don't know how long ago through the evolution of the, of the logos. So I'm not sure if that's touching on what you're referring to even. It does. Um, but then I guess what that would infer is that love as an energy is claimed and given for and to the self. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, and this is like referring to love logos as as a, a creative force, even even more so than like something to be given or or you know bestowed upon somebody else. It 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 almost to me sounds like they're talking about like love is vibration. You know what I mean? You know, uh, and then God said, "Let how does it go?" Where and then the voice was heard. What's the beginning quote from the Bible? Something about the voice. In the beginning was the word. I think that's that's it. That's John, that's though. It. Yeah. 
and you know all the different religions have touched on it but it, it's all vibration whether it's the you know the vibration of the the atom you know the vibration of the words spoken into the air and then they hit your ear you know but th this almost seems like they're referring to logos uh and love as that the essence of that yeah yeah it's also called a creative principle and and so i still kind of go back to the this energy of of creation giving bestowal sort of the purpose behind the energy that's present here and if you have a will to bestow then you may very well create that which is needed to receive it um even if that's within the self the capability of of giving and receiving i suppose doesn't in and of itself require duality yeah um, all right yeah just knowing the self in some way um so we can move on i think the other one session 15 might sort of restates i guess I could finish reading that the, they said the, the creator is the focusing of infinity as an aware or conscious principle called by us as closely as we can create understanding learning in your language intelligent infinity so it's the focusing of infinity as an aware or conscious principle they're calling intelligent infinity yeah i mean it's so unbelievably abstract and you know coming from raw coming from this place of complete knowing how do you put it into a concise terminology for people to get i feel like I feel like I almost intuitively know what these things are more than I actually know what these things are as I read through the material. Yeah. And to, to actually define it, like how do you define uh, taking everything and then focusing it into one thing? It's, it's just so difficult to define. And yeah, that's basically, I think they call love the focus, the focusing at some point too. Um, Maybe I'll search for that quick. So uh, we'll, we'll go to this 1521 here. Um, I'll, I'll read this whole question. Uh, Ra had stated, we offer the law of one, the solving of paradoxes. Ra also mentioned that the first paradox or the first distortion was the distortion of free will. Could you tell me if there's a sequence? Is there a first, second, third, fourth distortion of the law of one? And Ross said, only up to a very short point. After this point, the manyness of distortions are equal to one another. The first distortion, free will, finds focus. This is the second distortion known to you as logos, the creative principle or love. This intelligent energy thus creates a distortion known as light. From these three, three distortions come many, many hierarchies of distortions, each having its own paradoxes to be synthesized, no one becoming more important than another. So the foundation is there with, with love choosing to create light. And the, the, the thing I really got hung up on with this, when, when I went back and read it this time, was um, they said that the first distortion, free will, finds focus. So, and then as you go later into the material and they talk about 
this this octave or this uh, period of beingness is fed what was learned from the last octave. Although we know nothing of the last octave, we know the lessons learned of it, right? And the thing that I just couldn't shake, it, 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 I, I read this section and thought about it for like 45 minutes this morning. And so was what was the first octave uh, regimented, you know, was the first distortion order and order didn't work as well as free will did. So then the next octave was, well, let's try free will, you know, and how many octaves down the road are we? And I just, I had this just like thought experiment about what would a universe that doesn't have free will look like, you know, like, cause they they, you say like, there's no 90 degree angles out in nature. There's no like perfectly parallel line. Would it be that way? If, if it wasn't free will, you know, would the world look like a circuit board? I assume there was some kind of uh, free will in previous octaves. But it, it's not the same kind of free will that we know of as um, yeah. beings behind a veil. I think that's pretty clear that there, there, there was an awareness of the infinite mind that was all working together. It's just that they were able to do things. In, in a, I, I think they're able to experience finity to a degree. It's just an experience of finity in a way that does not lose the awareness of the inf infinite at the same time. Yeah, they talk about the <clears throat> the ratio of sort of the benefit of experience gained um, as they played around with uh, archetypes. They talk about two different versions of systems that use five archetypes. And um, if I remember correctly, they both use the same first three, which sort of right. describe as a little bit more universal or more broad. The, yeah. Uh, matrix potentiator and the significator actually in that case and then they mentioned two um different variations one the um the transformation and catalyst i think yeah or catalyst and experience and then the other one was transformation in a great way maybe or something yep. so they talk about how one was better for catalyst um but maybe doesn't get assimilated as well and the other one is the opposite it's easier to assimilate but less catalyst available yeah i think you found it yeah we skip ahead to, to some of these others that i was thinking so yeah archetypes one through nine existed before the influence of the co-creator or sub logos realization of free will archetypes one through nine at, at the initial stages of the logos or of the universe the, the 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 octave that we're in now would have been the matrix of mind body spirit the potentiator of mind body spirit and the significator of mind body spirit um and maybe i'll, I'll just read this now so people have an understanding um so these first nine archetypes that were the product of the awareness that was harvested from the previous octave the matrix of mind is that which, from which all comes. It is unmoving, yet is the activator and potentiation of all mind activity. The activator and potentiation. So potentiation means it's not potentiated yet. It's not, not turned into 
the potential, but it is it is unmoving, but it activates the potential of the mind. And that's called consciousness also. Um, the, poten the potentiator of the mind is that great resource which may be seen as the sea into which the consciousness dips ever deeper and more thoroughly in order to create, ideate, and become more self-conscious. And then the significator is maybe confusingly described here. They say <laughs> the significator of each mind, body, and spirit may be seen as a simple and unified concept. Right. I wish they had expanded yeah. on it right there. Um, yeah. yeah. But they also said, um, I mean, and I want to talk about the significator more. Um, maybe this is enough of a starting point. We can go back now to the discussions of these. Um, yeah, they said the significator is also called the most efficacious nature in 78.10. Um, so let's skip to this one here. Um, so uh, Don asked, these early logoi, the different galaxies that formed in the center of the galaxy, or, the, or maybe they're talking about the sub-logoi, yeah, the, the, the star systems, the suns that formed in the center of the galaxy wished, I assume, to create a system of experience for the one creator. Did they then start with no previous experience or, or information about how to do this? And Ross said, at the beginning of this creation, or as you may call it, octave, there were those things known which were the harvest of the preceding octave. About the preceding creation, we know as little as we do of the octave to come. However, we are aware of those pieces of gathered concept, which were the tools which the creator had in the knowing of the self. These tools were of two kinds. Firstly, there was an awareness of the efficiency for experience of mind, body, and spirit. Um, so that to me implies there's some will there with, with experience. Um, secondly, there was an awareness of the most efficacious nature, or if you will, significator of mind, body, and spirit. And I should pull that in a dictionary here. So efficacious is of something inanimate or abstract, it's successful in producing a desired or intended result, it's effective. So um, it's, it's so sometimes I like to remember the word significator by thinking of the concept of significance, um, but I think that effectiveness may be more what they're getting at here with, with calling it the efficacious nature, is that the, the, the awareness of the most um, effective aspects of the mind, effective nature of body, effective nature of spirit. These are the significators of mind, body, spirit. Um, and thirdly, there was an awareness of two aspects of mind, body, and of spirit that the significator could use to balance all catalyst. And you may call these two the matrix and the potentiator. Um, and here, um, based on other discussions, they say uh, matrix is an environment, this is Toby Wheelock's note, he says a matrix is an environment in which development occurs a surrounding medium or structure. And then the, the potentiator is that which makes powerful, intensifies or increases effectiveness. So these principles of matrix and potentiator are used to balance all catalyst. So they didn't even have the archetypes of catalyst, the archetypes of experience, but they knew that the, or the previous universe knew that the the balancing or the growth of the creator could could occur the growth of the awareness of self as creator could occur through the the balancing of the potential 
with the the medium, the structure of the of the of the nature of mind, the nature of body, the nature of spirit, and then finding the most efficacious nature, the most effective aspect. This was like the three foundations for this basically this creation, understanding, growth. Yeah, we skipped over um, a couple of the beginning ones where they kind of build the layers for you. Um, yeah. Where, like, because now we're we're all we're at the point where we're talking about, uh, at least in my eyes, we're talking about like entities that are living on the spheres that surround the logos. And right. what you're describing is like maybe there was an octave of just universes or there was an octave of a universe with just galaxies and you right. know that was the beginning like okay well now let's add um you know solar systems in the galaxies and then let's add planets around the uh, you know or um um uh, uh beings on the planets around the solar systems you know like it, it was kind of it, it almost seems like this this building up of uh, of experience to get to, to like the very minute, the minutia of experience. Right. Yeah. So let's, let's jump back into some of these, the, the, um, explaining more of the process of evolution. Um, in session 13, Don asked, was the galaxy that we are in created by the infinite intelligence or was it created by a portion of the individualized infinite intelligence? And Ross said, the galaxy and all other things of material of which you are aware are products of individualized portions of intelligent infinity. As each exploration began, it in turn found its focus and became co-creator. Using intelligent infinity, each portion created a universe and allowing the rhythms of free choice to flow, playing with the infinite spectrum of possibilities. Each individualized portion channeled the love light into what you might call intelligent energy, thus creating the so-called natural laws of any particular universe. And intelligent energy seems to imply both space and time and dimensions and everything. Um, each universe in turn individualized to focus to a focus, becoming in turn co-creator and allowing further diversity, thus creating further intelligent energies, regularizing or causing natural laws to appear in the vibrational patterns of what you would call a solar system. Thus, each solar system had its own, shall we say, local coordinate system of illusory natural laws. It shall be understood that any portion, no matter how small, of any density or illusory pattern contains, as in a holographic picture, the one creator, which is infinity. Thus, all begins and ends in mystery. So every single solar system is like an extension of the free will to play with the natural laws of reality. And so... We have our own um, sun seemingly having an influence on what what this feels like for us as evolutionary paths. Although, you know, we were just talking earlier about how the sun is now putting out more flares right now and it's affecting people. And it's like, technically, you know, every day we're affected by the sun because it gets brighter. <laughs> and we have we have a different kind of day based on the temperature. But I wonder if there's even more like conscious energy being transmitted all the time it's just like we're just basking in it all the time from the sun and we're, we're just like connected without even realizing it and we're like and plugged into the computer which is the, the sun's um consciousness that's something i've wondered about 
I feel I like it. That we would, if we're an extension of the Earth's consciousness, then it's an extension of the sun's. Yeah, and and you can, I mean, once once you start tracking it and become aware of it, you can feel a difference in your um, your energy, your mind, in your day to day. When the when the sun is you know producing more ions, you know throwing more stuff at it. I mean, if you want to just get to the pure physicality of it, when you know there's a sun flare and it just pushes stuff in our direction, then then we interact with it. If you want it to be more abstract, you know, then you you're talking about the metaphysical side of it, where if the sun is more energetic and it throws energy towards you, how does that affect your your mind state? Yeah. But if you start tracking it, at least I did, I could really see a difference because there would be days where before I knew about the, um, you know, like the, the, um, the, the spiral, is it the Enlil spiral, the, the little map that they show you where all the planets are in relation to the sun and where the, the majority of the ions are spewing off of the sun. I think it's the Enlil spiral. Before I even knew about that, I would feel a difference in days. And then I would start looking at that when I felt a difference in a day. And it, it almost always corresponds. It's interesting that, <clears throat> that we would think of the sun as sending energy to us as though the sun would conceive of us as being outside or separate from itself. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about too, because it kind of gets into the different levels of the logos here, this hierarchical nature of it, of the logos and sub logos and down to where we are. So we're really just an extension of sub sub logos of the sun there. So to a certain extent, we are all connected in there, but I, it is kind of interesting, Andrew, I was thinking the same thing, but yet you're given catalysts, you're given energy from the sun to kind of, I guess, decide to choose how you, how you want to use that or how open your energy centers are to allow that to flow through and actually make something of it. Yeah, the sun's sort of double duty in that regard, probably occupying a hierarchical space and consciousness. Well, and the sun is before the veil, if my memory serves me correctly. Like the sun is still aware that we're all one and feeding back our experiential um, data, if you will, back into the all mind and so if we're down here and things are going a little bit too easy and not enough catalysts and the sun's like, nah, this is a little boring, you know, let's spice it up a bit. That, that could be when the energy comes because, you know, the, the sun might look at it as it's sending energy to a limb to keep to, to like clasp its fist. But to us, it feels like that distant ball of fire, which is not us, is sending all these other little things, which is not it that hit us and impact us. But to the sun, it could just be like, you know, wrapping its fingers or opening its fingers. Yeah. Yeah, the, the sun is, is an adept. It's the same thing that we are attempting to refine its consciousness and know itself better. And it is before the veil, right? I'm not, I'm not. Well, it is aware of the veil, I would say, but its mind is beyond the veil. It's, it's in all the yes. densities. It's, it's beyond every limitation of awareness. Yes, that, that's what I meant by before the veil, beyond the veil would have been a better way of putting it. Yeah. And I certainly speculate that the reason that we have a veil ourselves is as, as bodies with minds attached to them 
is because of some sort of limitation of the genetic programming so that our the systems of emotions that are going through our head are sort of quarantined off from the you know between the conscious and the subconscious mind but nevertheless we need the unconscious mind to even regulate our, our whole body system so it's like it's like there's a computer and a computer when we have the conscious mind separated from the deeper unconscious mind yeah so um we can continue on some of these the on session 29 they said the the sub logos of your solar entity differentiated some experience so the basically talking about the sun when they say your solar entity the sun differentiated some experiential components within the patterns of intelligent energy set in motion by the logos which created the basic conditions and vibratory rates consistent throughout your what we would call major galaxy so that's basically just saying that there's more variations within what we're experiencing thanks to the influence of the sun um but I don't know if they went into too many details around what they mean by that, the experiential components. Wasn't that like the, so they say the logos is basically the blueprint or the architecture, and then each logos, sub-logos below that then uses that architecture to add its own refinements to it. So the experiential components of our sub-logos or the sun would be, I don't know, maybe more specific to the male-female principle, and then just, I guess, the way that the rhythms of this creation are formed that we're basically going through the densities through. Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly wonder how many how many aspects of this were specifically by the sun versus like male and female. I think I'm sure male and female exist throughout the the, the galaxy. I think that was I mean we certainly that was from the octave before so my guess is yeah, that yeah, they did. throughout the yeah. whole yeah because yeah. it's just polarity. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like one big, you know, feedback system. Have the experience, you know, to put it in crude, in, you know, in human terms, have the experience, feed the experience back to the sun. Sun feeds the experience back to the galaxy. Galaxy feeds it back to the universe. And then yeah. we just keep going until we have all the experiences that are available within this framework. And then, you know, <laughs> write up the abstract for the experiment and then move on to the next octave. So when I think about this in terms of a blueprint, and obviously I go back to the tree of life always, I get curious as to whether the logos at a solar system level, for example, is tacking on new sephira, for example, to the bottom of the tree. Like it gets handed a, a basic blueprint of say the top, you know, let's see, six or so, for example, would, <clears throat> or top seven, um, if you count dot, but um, whether it's tacking on, like in this case, Hode and Netzach, which are thinking and feeling, <clears throat> or it gets handed, here's all the 10 Sephira that, um, that build the blueprint for this universe, and you can tweak the behaviors of each of them individually. I would suspect it has more to do with tweaking each one individually in the relationships between them. I just agree. Be, just because of the fact that they, yeah, they basically say that the system of archetypes came from the logos. Um, I think especially at this level of complexity they were at now, that you would be handed a, a pretty extensive 
sheet of, you know, like you would be handed all 10 and the tweaking would happen. But at the beginning, it might not have, you know, it might have just been one and then one became two, you know, and then uh, it built from from there. Right. It could be at the galactic level, for example, that that's where we have six. And at the universal level, we've got three. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or first octave, second octave, third octave. And it could it could be that, you know, we're aware of 10 at our level, but the at the galactic level, they're they're aware of 20. And then at the universal level, it's more aware of like 30, you know, and, and it could all be playing because all possibilities are, are you know, possible for, for infinity. So it would have to be playing on multiple layers. That'd be interesting to consider that moving in a in a descending order you know having less and less variables rather than more and more though not not illogical in and of itself just um interesting to consider that moving upward you might have a larger catalog from which to choose as opposed yeah. to you're building on a foundation that's been handed out and proven to work across other galaxies and universes and then you add on to it from there i think at one point don asked something like um is is 22 the most archetypes used anywhere that you're aware of and i think they said yes um but it, but it also begs the question what what would be next what what how much more um and this is really what we're exploring right now is how much more complex can our reality get and that's 9117, by the way, where he asked that. Yeah. He and was, he didn't, Ra didn't answer, by the way, whether 22 is the greatest number. He only addressed the five. Oh, I see. Yeah, this was the 2016. They said, what is the largest number of archetypes? Ah, uh, yeah. There we go. And Ross said the sevens plus the choice is the greatest number which has been used by our knowledge, by Logoi, as a result of many, many previous experiences in articulation of the one creator. Okay. And then, and then they, they say the question, I assume then that 22 is the greatest number of archetypes. I'll also ask what is the minimum number presently in use by any logos to Ra's knowledge. And then Ra said the fewest are the two systems of five, which are contemplating the cycles or densities of experience. Um, and I guess they, they describe that more here. You must grasp the idea that the archetypes were not developed at once, but step-by-step step, and not in order, as you know, the order at the space-time, but in various orders. Therefore, the two systems of fives were used we're using two separate ways of viewing the archetypical nature of all experience. Each, of course, used the matrix potentiator and the significator, where this is the harvest which, with which our creation began. One way our system of experimentation had added to these the catalyst and the experience. Another system, if you will, had added catalyst and transformation. In one, in one case, the methods whereby experience was processed was further aided, but the fruits of experience less aided um, so the fruits of experience would be the transformation. In the second case, the opposite may be seen to be the case. So, so this is just a different kind of emphasis on 
what experience can be and a different kind of emphasis on what transformation can be. And now that we're using the 22 system, then we have the full range of both the potentials of experience and the potentials of transformation, the fruits of the experience. So this is about as abstract as, as I can imagine a description of our reality. <laughs> it almost sounds like the, the, the catalyst when entered into one system creates a slow transformation, whereas the catalyst from the other system creates an immediate transformation, but you, you lose all the subtleties of the experience. So the transformation also would lack subtlety. You know, it would be, it would be more of an if then statement and less of a, if this, then maybe these. As opposed to like, you know, if you put your hand on a burner and it's hot, you don't put your hand on the burner anymore. Catalyst transformation. I don't put my hand on the burner anymore. But right. catalyst experience is like, well, I've touched a burner in various phases of heating up. And now I know I can touch it within this window or and not touch it in this window and then after it's cooling down i have this window whereas catalyst transformation is just like burner hot don't touch right maybe you're dwelling on the experience more when you have yeah. that experience archetype and maybe it's more intuitive and instinctive when you don't have that yeah all right let's go into more of this general um initial discussion of the archetypes um so Don had a long uh, question here in 67.28, which we don't have to go into all this, but he starts talking about archetypes of female and male, particle son and fool archetypes, magician, adept. This had to have been his most optimistic question yeah. of, <laughs> of all the sessions. I mean, and this wasn't in two or three, this is 67 that he's like, all right, I'm going to. I'm going to throw this out there. <laughs> he throws out like 23 different concepts. And yeah, is that accurate? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then Ross slams the door on it. Ross says this entity is getting pretty tired right now. Yeah. <laughs> channel, yeah. channel, channeler is getting tired. We can, we, this is a rather complex answer, which is interesting, but we don't expect to finish our answer. So we ask you to re-ask re this in a future session, which he did in 74.4. Um, so we'll continue, uh, we'll, we'll see how Ross started to answer this. Ross said, perhaps the first item we shall address is the concept of the spirit used as a shuttle between the roots and the trunk of mind. This is a misapprehension and we shall allow the questioner to consider the function of the spirit further. For in working with the mind, we are working within one complex and have not yet attempted to penetrate intelligent infinity. So they're just trying to draw a distinction between mind and spirit here for Don. Um, and the penetration of intelligent infinity is when you're actually, when the mind is actually using spirit more directly. I guess that's what they what, what they mean by the, the shuttle of the spirit. Um, it is well said that the archetypes are portions of the one infinite creator or aspects of its face. It is, however, far better to realize that the archetypes, while constant in the complex of generative energies offered, do not give the same yield of these complexes to any two seekers. And that, that alone is a profound revelation, I think, that when we look at the major arcana of the tarot, clearly some cards are female, some cards are male, but, other, but, but there are different um, sort of personality attributes that any individual might 
be more drawn to not just the male and female, but all the other aspects of the archetypes might also be um, different amounts of yield of these concept complexes. Um, might be we might be drawn to more more aspects of these. And does that sound like a correct interpretation? Yeah, I mean this is this is the effect of of experience. So I mean you can't you can't experience these energies directly you experience them through the lens of your own complexes and so through your own experience of them so that's why they're all going to be subjective to experience the energies uh without any of that would would be to experience your own energies as though you were not the one experiencing them yeah and yeah. the one thing I was uh, questioning when I was reading this is when he says that uh, the the spirit is not a shuttle between because they were only dealing with uh, one complex when they're talking about the mind. And I was thinking when, when they're talking about the mind and all that is this spirit, uh, not that it's not there or not within the conversation, but that the mind is more specifically about each individual uh, and and their experience uh, with the reality, and that the spirit is something that you can uh, tap into. That is, um, and again, it's hard to describe. Not different than, but just it's in a, a different set of parameters. When we're talking about the mind, they were talking about something else. When you talk about the spirit, you know, different parameters come in because they were. It essentially sounded to me like they were talking about how. It's not this go-between between the all and and each individual being. That's not what the spirit is. It, it sounded like that's what um, Don didn't come up with that phrase. Was who who he said somebody prepared it beforehand. I don't recall what you're referencing there. They did bring up the the concept of a shuttle before, but I Jim. For some reason I'm thinking that. It's more that the soul is the connective tissue between the spirit and the mind. And I know that Ra doesn't necessarily draw a distinction between the mind and the soul, and nor do I necessarily know that they should. I think they just are two different layers of the same mental framework. Um, so, yeah, but I do remember them talking about the shuttle in another, another session. Maybe I'll make a note. To, we could go maybe into the all the references to the soul and spirit in another session too. Okay, that'd be good to. Yeah, definitely. That. Yeah, I was I was uh, when I was reading it. Um, I'm rereading my notes here, and the the archetypical mind is holographic aspect of the one infinite creator. So in each complex, there already exists everything in your mind. Therefore, the spirit doesn't have to be a go-between between you and the information because you you imbue, you embody all of the information already because of that holographic nature of, of, the, uh, of everything, of creation. I also think that the spirit is not motile. I think they talk about that in another one of the sessions that we're going to talk about. So that's the other reason why it's not a shuttle because it doesn't actually move. Yeah, it almost seems like the spirit uh, exists in the um, 
in the um, metaphysical in this. Yeah, it's time space. I think more specifically than space. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, I think we'll touch on that more later. But let's uh, yeah continue with the archetype aspect of this here, and uh, move on to the some of these others. That, um, so, uh, so we we we're talking about the the archetypal energies are constant and how they're offered, but they do not give the same yield of these complexes to any two seekers. Each seeker will experience each archetype and the characteristics within the complex of the archetype, which are most important to it. An example of this would be the observation of the questioner that the fool is described in such and such a way. One great aspect of this archetype is the aspect of faith, the walking into space without regard for what is to come next. This, of course, is foolish, but is part of the characteristic of the spiritual neophyte. Um, that this aspect was not seen by Don may be, may be pondered by the questioner. So Don took the fool archetype to mean something else, but was still uh, connected to it. So he was, he was taking a different perspective on that archetype. Um, but was he, though? You know, I, I went back and reread his question and didn't, didn't feel that he missed it by a, as much as Ra did because he did say specifically that the fool is setting out to refine itself or, you know, figure itself out. Yeah, and, and I was thinking the same thing, like Ra's saying, you know, hey, you missed this part of the fool. But it almost seems to me like Jim, when he when he wrote this down to give to Don, I mean, he wrote a sentence about a sentence or two sentences about each thing, you know, and yeah. then Ra goes on to say how complex each thing is. And like, well, yeah, he's going to miss some things if he's trying to put it into a sentence. Yeah. They also read his mind, too. So they know. <laughs> yeah. And that's and that was the other thing that I was tripping out on. Like, OK. So was he responding to the words on the page that Jim wrote to him, or was he responding to the to the false thought that Jim had when he wrote the thing? I think sometimes it goes back and forth. What do you think, Nathan? No, I, I'd agree. I think because they mentioned a few other areas too that uh, Roz basically reading Don's mind as he's questioning some of this and pulls in information that way. So, yeah, I'd agree. That kind of makes it a little more intricate, I guess, too, to have to piece that together where, where they might be pulling that information from. Yeah. Yeah. So Don had said that he, he sees the fool, the prodigal son or fool archetype corresponds to every entity who seems to have strayed from unity and seeks to return to the one infinite creator. Yeah. I didn't think that that was, you know, like super miss on the mark. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, um, Ra's answering the question that was in his head like we were saying he's not answering the question that he wrote down so much yeah so so the aspect Ross was suggesting is missing was the aspect of faith the walking into space without regard for what is to come next so I guess in that sense the without regard for what's coming next may be uh, not uh, seeking unity but just yeah taking the next fool, foolheartedly foolheartedly whatever comes let it come yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I suppose the prodigal son is similarly walking a path while he's out and about prior to returning. Right. Yeah. And that's a great parable. That's, yeah. It's like, 
experiencing oh, the best. Yeah, experiencing all the mess of the of world, working, uh, eating like the pigs, and then deciding I've had enough of this. I'm going to go home, and yeah. then starting the journey back. Yeah, so that intent to walk back would be the regard for what's to come next. And Roz essentially saying, you know, just just moment to moment, live it moment to moment. Stop, stop, uh, stop thinking that the fool has to have this overarching goal. I'm not even sure that this sentence that Mike has highlighted isn't somewhat contradictory in in itself without regard for what comes next seems to be releasing attachment and yet i would say that kind of a core tenant of faith <clears throat> while maybe not attachment to specific outcome is certainly the knowing that things can and will come out to my greatest benefit uh, when i allow them to so it's not entirely without regard. Like my faith is specifically oriented toward a better experience for me as opposed to a worse one. So yeah, I'm probably just overthinking it. Yeah, it's uh, th these archetypes are essentially beyond words too. There's no, um, you know, there's, there's a pure vibration to them. Maybe I should pull up the images here. People can actually look at this. Um, so on the on the Lovewood.info site, there's a there's a tarot study section. And I click course of curriculum, and then these are some of the images that are closest to what uh, what they were actually using. And in the left hand column here is the ones that they actually redrew. The LL research team redrew these images. And so we're talking about the one at the bottom here, the, the choice. And they they recommend pairing when you're when you're doing the study. They have had a system talked about at the top here, eighty eight point twenty four presentation of the images one after the other in certain orders that let you study the matrix first, all three, um, and so on and so on. And then they study in pairs, matrix and potentiator, and then catalyst and experience. And and they say to pair the archetype. Um, of the significator with the archetype 22 of the fool, you will note the consideration of the significator was left unpaired for the significator shall be paired with archetype 22. And so this would be a great time to get into um, more discussion of the, the significator archetype two to understand that, you know, why, why are they suggesting pairing that one with the choice, the fool? Why, why is the fool called the choice too? But but I think the the, the choice as as a purified concept has to be without regard for um, attachments to what is chosen, you're, except that you're just doing the choosing, um, not, not choosing because you've been told you have to, or you know you have to, it's, it's without regard for what's happening. You, the, the, the purest archetype of choice is just stepping out into, you know, like Indiana Jones on the, on the third movie where he's, walking out <laughs> that was that was literally like the, the test of faith is just you had to step out not knowing yeah. that there was something there landed on the platform so doesn't motivation or desire or the will i mean this has to come into the choice i mean it's there's something driving the choice 
Well, the, the choice itself is driving the choice as the as a separate archetype, and then, and then the will it comes from the matrix of mind, and they say everything comes from that too. The matrix of mind is that from that which all comes. We 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 were talking about, and then once you get to the significator, I feel like the significator is is where the transformation has to have some kind of branching point. You know, is it going to be the choice of service to self or service to others? So that's why I see it as kind of um an evolution of just the will is that um i see the choice is presented before the the desired outcome is even determined yeah mm. okay so let's talk about pairing the choice with the significator is the <clears throat> the choice the fool is this the totality well what do you mean the the mind body spirit totality oh okay would we could we say that the fool encompasses the totality or the complex not sure if that it, it, i would assume that the the totality and the higher self are like the purified re representations of all the archetypes. So the totality is the is is the self. all the complexes together, isn't it? Yeah, all, all aspects of the self at the end of the seventh density is the totality of all potentials of self. And at okay. that point, I would imagine the self is basically just like every single kind of expression of every single archetype all refined into the purest sense of this is the being that I've chosen to be as the archetypal expression of the infinite creator. Right. So would you equate the fool to the mind, body, spirit totality or the mind, body, spirit complex? I would I say it's the complex because it's post the veil. That that might make more sense, but I feel like it's so far beyond time and expression that it's it's all of it. it you know, every aspect of the self is all the archetypes, and mm. it, it's just a matter of you know. Th there's different aspects to the experience, and the, the choice is not the same thing as the experience archetype. It's not the same thing as the matrix archetype. So let's let's compare or study the the full yeah well, the I, significator. Then I could go straight into what they everything they say about the this image the, the choice. Um, so yeah, the, the first one was one we were just talking about. Um, the next instance was session seventy seven. Um, Don asked. I'm asking with respect to this particular logos, our sun, and creating the experience of its planetary system, those sub logoi. Um, and they said, This query has substance. We shall begin by turning to an observation of a series of concept complex concept complexes, which of which you're familiar as Tarot. The philosophy was to create a foundation first of mind, then of body, and then of spiritual complex. Those concept complexes you call the Tarot lie in three groups of seven. The mind cycle, one through seven, the physical complex, eight through 14, the spiritual, 15 to 21. The last concept complex may best be turned to choice. Upon the foundation of transformation of each complex with free will guided by the root concepts offered in these cycles, 
The logos offered this density as the basic architecture of a building and constructing and synthesizing of data, culminating in the choice. Culminating in every choice. Yeah. So would it be culminating in every choice being every choice that every entity makes or every choice that one entity makes while within this planetary sphere? I think it's every, everywhere. Yeah, at every level. It's a, uh, it goes back to the recursive feedback loop of like AI. Yeah. And the choice and the fool are one and the same. Right. Okay, so the significator then we know is a subcomponent, obviously, of the fool, one aspect of its consciousness. And why are we, um, why is it suggested that we look at these two things together? I don't, I don't know if you would say, they would say that they're, they're it's a subcomponent of it because they put a strong emphasis on perceiving each archetype as a ding on seek uh, thing in and of itself to be studied um, separately. But I think the reason they, they put them together, is, I think because the, the, the significator is um, where choosing is, is happening and our, our perspective of what is the, the most efficacious nature of the mind or the body or the spirit. And so you'd have to pick uh, polarity um, to, to see what is effective about mind, body, or spirit, I think. Um, but but I, could, I could, that's something I want to get into though with the um, session um, 78. Is the significator choosing action, choosing meaning, or both? I think it would be both. I think you can't have one without the other. I mean, there's always the meaning there. Yeah. And it's that meaning that we've assigned that then drives future choice. Yeah, and transformation. Yeah, and then the transformation can lead to um, great way. And so transformation meaning <clears throat> now I've experienced experience I've decided what it means, and now I'm going to choose differently to have a different experience, and I've thusly transformed the mind. Yeah. I have a new mind, body, spirit from which to create a new reality. Then what, therefore, is the great way? <laughs> I love that we're getting into these. I feel like each of them, they say so many things about them that we have to touch on the great way in a future session. Um, but the great way is like the, 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 the culminating overview. The, it's like the archetype of coming to the overview. That's the way I've seen it. Like mastery? Yeah. Okay. And so they also, they also compare the, the, the final, uh, the, the world archetype, the, great way of the spirit as being th that archetype which is coming in contact with intelligent infinity and and for me this is the most profound thing when they're talking about clothing yourself in an archetype if you're clothing yourself in the world itself 
like you are becoming one with the world. That, that is totally what that archetype seems to mean as this, this end product of spiritual transformation is union with the entire universe. And which archetype is the world? It's the great yeah. way of the spirit. Yeah, the great way of the spirit. Yeah, that would make sense. And 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 there's a, a female playing an instrument, which is the male. Hmm. And maybe I, maybe I should pull up my higher resolution images from the CC Zane um, book, which is available for sale. These images are not apparently. Um, anywhere else on the internet. Um, so here we have um, the top part of this is uh, different animals around in a circle with the bird with outstretched wings in the center of that circle. And the bird is obviously huge and all the other, uh, many of the other uh, Tarot images have, have the, the wings meaning something about the I assume it's like the the freedom or the taking flight of the of the self. Um, and maybe the maybe the specific images here mean something. I'm not totally sure yet. That is worth its own study. And then yeah, the the female playing on the instrument, which is the male. I don't know what this thing is off the top of the head. Those um, the the John Anthony West suggested um, that the uh, receptacle and the vessel are the different levels of, and then the, the snake coming out of the head of the headdress uh, were like different levels of learnedness of the adept essentially. Like if you, once you had this, this uh, under your belt, you would have the, the, uh, the vessel. And then once you had another aspect of it, the, the vessel would hold the, the vase. And once you were um, more or less fully awakened as a being living, you know, with the veil present, but you're, you're fully awakened to it and you, you can tap into, I guess you would say the Akashic records, then you have that, the, uh, the serpent uh, sticking out of the head representing like the third eye and, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Is this thing above its head a vessel you said? The, the vest that's, and I'll have to go back and rewatch, but I'm pretty sure he said that light gray is a vase and the vessel that holds it is the black. So the black is, it looks, it's look, it looks like it's a, a cutaway version. So you can see that the vessel is holding the vase, but mm -hmm. normally, you know, the vase, you know, it would be enclosed and then the, va the, the vessel would be enclosed and the vase would sit inside of it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'll have to think about that more. Yeah. I'll have yeah. to put that uh, John Anthony West stuff on a, on a hard drive for you because yeah. it's, uh, it's really interesting, the stuff that he gets into with it. And he talks about a lot of this kind of stuff where every hieroglyph and every one of these cards, it's not just saying one thing. It's saying a concept on three different levels at all times. You know, the, the physical, uh, the metaphysical, and then the spiritual, uh, he was saying that everything speaks to all three of the levels. Uh -huh. I have to and share with you. This is just so funny to me that this entire call, I, I have I have all these 22 images up on the wall next to me over here. And there's this big spider that keeps on crawling from image to image and crawling behind the images. 
And like, I'm like, what does that mean that he's behind? Which one's he now? behind now, man? He's behind Which the matrix behind? of spirit now. He went <laughs> behind. He went behind the, the devil just now. So I had to mention him. It's too funny. <laughs> You're gonna have to put a, a camera on that just so we can track that while we're having the conversation. <laughs> like, where's he now? Where's he now? <laughs> now I know how Mike uh, comes up with the agendas for <laughs> yeah fighters. <laughs> Fighter on the wall. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So how else would you interpret that image then with the feminine using, I guess, that masculine knowledge to create, to make creation then as a form of music and rhythm or? It does I see, really see them, them in harmony sure. in a way. So I see them, you know, coming together. To make uh, something beautiful. Like Also an aspect of transcending duality is kind of this last phase is where the feminine and masculine come together as one i don't know if that's what this represents well, did, or not. it's interesting that ever... the females playing the instrument though if everything comes from the matrix and that's the active aspect of consciousness it's interesting that it's playing a passive role here well the female principle is also behind the uh, the matrix of the body which is also um, called balance working or even functioning so mm -hmm. there is there is a kind of like a balance to it that is that is the feminine and that's obviously where we're getting babies from the, the feminine is is creating this continuous yeah it's it's really like the creative principle is is the feminine one on, on the physical plane and then the masculine plane maybe more of the the musical expressions in, in that archetypal sense mm. did they do they ever go into, besides what we just read, uh, where Ra touches on uh, the spirits, not a shuttle, do they ever fully go over this passage that Jim wrote and Don asked? Because I don't remember them diving into that again. Diving into what? Di the, the passage that Jim wrote and Don asked where it was uh, the- They do in 74. Oh, yeah. 67.28. Yeah, we're, we'll get into that now. We can continue on to that. Well, only only because if you go back to that picture, he says that the father archetype corresponds to the male or positive aspect of the electromagnetic energy and is active, creative, and radiant in our local sun. The mother archetype corresponds to the female or negative aspects of the electromagnetic energy and is receptive or magnetic as is our earth. As it receives the sun rays, and brings forth life via third density fertility. And that would be, you know, like the, that, the action being played by the femaleness, you know, it, that, that, that if those two uh, descriptions are said to be correct, I could see how that um, the female would play the male. Yeah, I think we should maybe, I'll make another note to get into the female and male discussions i don't i don't want to dwell too much on what don says because i have a hard enough time remembering what ross said about these things too yeah yeah exactly to, to, yeah. and that's why i asked i don't remember if he fully if they fully go into that full paragraph to the to the extent of ross saying yes to the yes to the father concept no to the mother concept yes to the uh um you know the magician satan healer no to the fool like i don't well, think that they we're about to find out because Mike's going to take us to 74.4 where they yep. pick back up on it. Yeah. Right. So they said, could you just please continue? 
and then um, and Don also asked, should, should we ask the question again next time? And Ross said, as a general practice, yes, it's good to vibrate the query at the same space time as the answer is desired. Um, do they just, just make a notation here? Um, so the query, though thoughtful, is in some degree falling short of the realization of the nature of the archetypical mind. We may not teach learn for any other to the extent that we become learned teachers. So they're basically saying they won't even answer this completely. They'll, they want Don to continue to question more on these points, I think. Um, Therefore, we shall make some general notations upon this interesting subject and allow the questioner to continue and further, and further refine any queries. The archetypical mind may be defined as that mind which is peculiar to the logos of this planetary sphere. Thusly, unlike the great cosmic all-mind, it contains the material which it pleased the logos to offer as refinements to the great cosmic beingness. The archetypical mind, then, is that which contains all facets which may affect mind or experience. And so I, I assume that um, that would imply that these images are largely a product of um, the nuances of the archetypes that the Logos has decided to say, these, this is the, the nature of these archetypes. these refinements. Um, so they, they gave some examples here. The magician was named as a, as a significant archetype. However, it was not recognized that this portion of the archetypical mind represents not a portion of the deep subconscious, but the conscious mind and more especially the will. I guess this was Don who didn't recognize this. Um, so the magician represents the will and the conscious mind archetype called by some the high priestess then is the corresponding intuitive or subconscious faculty so it's um it's this one here on the upper left is the matrix of the mind the magician representing the conscious mind and then this one the high priestess representing the the subconscious um yeah, and that's that's they they explain this whole thing out but they never actually confirm or deny the the male or the feminine this but right in that it, it kind of is like saying that the intuition, which was the female, the high priestess, plays um, the magician as the male. Yeah. Like the, the action is played by the yeah. intuition. Definitely in other sessions, they do confirm the, the maleness because it's certainly in session in question. And cards one through seven here, they, they go into heavy detail yeah. with raw. So we do know for sure that the matrix is um, seen to be male in the mind and female and the potentiator so yeah but then it's inverted with the body with the this one in the middle here that matrix of body being feminine and the potentiator of of body the wisdom or the sage is is the um principle which um sort of provides um i guess the 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 path for the body the the potential of the body is more determined with the I forget I forget this is why I want to go into these one by one practically to get Ra's exact wording um you know that every time I attempt to summarize it it's like not quite the same where did you get the images that you have on your wall I th those are taken from the CC Zane this would be a great thing to show people if you go to um 
llresearch.org and you go to, I think you go to um, channeling the raw contact and then you scroll down, you get to the uh, section somewhere on the tarot. Um, yeah, right here at the top of the supplementary resources, the archetypes in the tarot. And you scroll down here and you get to um, full explanation, CC Zane images. The original deck that Don Elkins used for questioning was the work of CC Zane, founder of the Church of Light. CC Zane's first deck was released in 1918. It was subsequently revised in the 1930s and issued as a monochrome deck in the 1960s. It's the 1960s deck that Don, Jim, and Carl used for questioning raw about the arch archetypal mind. This deck is listed as the BOL2 design on this website. Um, and I think um, I think there was another point where there was a book that had them um, that they were selling, but yeah, these are um, these are not the highest quality versions. These are pretty low quality on this website. Um, yeah, because I'd like to get them uh, get a copy of them so that when we do do the deep dive. We, yeah. I can have a, the picture just kind of sitting there. I'll send them to you. Um, okay. I'm not. I'm not sure if I can send them to everybody, but uh, yeah. This this is a here number one in the footnotes. The Sacred Tarot. This is where I got them from, because this is a PDF book, which is vector format, which means you can infinitely zoom in on the images. Okay. Maybe I'll just go get that. I'll, I'll yep. get that book and I'll have it myself. Yep. Okay. Yeah, because there's so much in these. Um, it, 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 when when you start listening to some of the people that are interpreting the hieroglyphs uh you know because i really do think that people that are interpreting the hieroglyphs not necessarily as the you know the the egypt the, the mainstream egyptologists uh interpret it some of the more uh i guess you would call them fringe i don't know how exactly to say it but when you hear some of the descriptions that some of these people have come out with they really resonate and when you read this, the, the law of one descriptions, you know, they, they build off of each other. And then when you start looking at these images with this complex uh, notion of what they could mean, it just, it seems like the streamings, uh, the, the end streamings or the downloads happen more readily. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I could spend my whole life studying this stuff. <laughs> yeah, because there's so much in each card. And, and, you know, like when they start describing what each one means and they talk about like the bird in the cage and the and the lines that, that, that represent you know like your humanity in a cage within like the 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 matrix that we're working within it there's so much in each just portion of each picture yeah makes you wonder then looking at the egyptian hieroglyphs if you look at them from that sense too so looking at it a little bit deeper i think that's what you're kind of saying nick is they're not just the black and white sort of image meaning to them too. There's a lot more if you interpret it that way, the same way you'd analyze this tarot um, that the Egyptians had. It'd be a lot more, a lot more to learn from them. I guess we can move on now to the next part of this. So they talked about the magician and the high priestess a little bit. And then they said, let us observe the entity as it is in relationship to the archetypal mind. You may consider the possibilities of utilizing the correspondences 
between the mind-body-spirit and microcosm and the archetypal mind-body-spirit closely approaching the creator. For instance, your ritual performed to purify this place as you use the term Vegabura, um, which is a part of the, the banishing ritual, the lesser pentagram. Um, it's actually part of the Kabbalistic cross. Yeah, I get that image up again. Maybe Which is right normally here. performed prior to the banishing ritual. Oh, oh. And, yeah, go ahead. Um, and I also wanted to point out that I don't know if Ra made one of their kind of mismatching parallels here or not. But um, so anyway, uh, the Kabbalistic cross is Ata Malkuth Vegebra Vegejala Leolama Alem. Leolam. Yeah, so it's um, thou art uh, the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Yep. So it's the same, more or less, as the um, as the end of the the Lord's prayer. But what's interesting here is that according to my one of my textbooks, more or less, that Geburah and the Tree of Life, um, it's definitely associated with the pillar of form which is actually the negative um slash divine feminine and gedula is another name for hesed which is opposite it on the tree it's on the right hand side um now the planetary correspondences here are accurate or they do line up but the male and female uh do not do not yeah that's where you're looking at gebra and hesed across it and hesed is also known as gedula so that's interesting that, and then I think either in this session right here that we're reading, either in the next paragraph or in one of the other ones that you sent us, they may have made one of their sort of cryptic references to how the male and female uh, express opposite. So anyway, I thought that was interesting about this, but you can go ahead and continue, Mike. Okay, yeah. I'll think about hey, Andrew, what is the they in that? The... Uh, that's a good question. Okay. Because I know uh, in Sanskrit that, uh, what is it that turns something to a negative? Yeah, if you, if you put an A in front of the word, it turns it negative in Sanskrit. So I was just wondering if they had some kind of tra transformative property to it or if it, was, if it was just like saying the Gebera. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good point because you don't say it ahead of Atta or Malkuth um and yeah there you go rusty chat gpt yeah so atta malkuth thou art the kingdom um and the power and the glory forever oh okay it's yeah okay okay all right let's keep going here yep so Don was, uh, Ra was bringing up this example, um, Vegabura. It is correct assumption that this is a portion or aspect of the one infinite creator. However, there are various correspondences with the archetypical mind, which may be more and more refined by the adept. Vegabura is the correspondence of Michael, of Mars, of the positive, of maleness. Vegadula has correspondences to Jupiter, to femaleness, to the negative, to that portion of the tree of life concerned with Ariel. So yeah, these principles may be something we could look into more another time. Um, 
we could go forward with more and more refinements of these two entries into the archetypical mind. We could discuss color correspondences, relationships with other archetypes, and so forth. This is the work of the adept, not the teacher-learner. We may only suggest that there are systems of study which may address themselves to the aspects of the archetypical mind, and it is well to choose one study, one and study carefully. It is more nearly well if the adept go beyond whatever has been written and make such correspondences that the archetype can be called upon at will. So at some point, the images are not what is needed by the adept. It's the what the, what the, what the archetype is on the deeper level that can be called upon at will. Embodying it. Yeah. Yeah, and like meditating on it. To, to sit there with the with the concept in your mind and then uh, let your mind expand on it, you know, let the, the 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 all mind expand on it in your mind. You think they're like promoting here too some of maybe the ancient um, ancient knowledge, kind of studying that those types of systems in order to better understand this or I feel like it's kind of vague at that point, but to me it seems like some of the ancient traditions and systems may help you to also further gain knowledge on on the archetypal mind from that uh, second part in the in that quote. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the, one of the big things they're they're hinting at for us is uh, to, to, to like study your history to, to you know, because the whole act of being is to learn from the last octave to better uh, supply the next octave with, you know, more knowledge. And if we're in, in modern society, I mean, history is just, it's going by the wayside. It's being changed and manipulated all the time. And that's what they're saying. Like the, the adept should go deep, go into this to find the, the truth. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's something you need to do. You need to have the will and the desire to do on your own to discover. It's not something yeah. that can basically shown to you or, or handed to you from that point. And I think that what this last sentence is really referring to is, is moving out of the academia and into practice. So saying going beyond studying it and reading it in writing, but to then applying it in life and calling on the archetypes as needed. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So you can use the knowledge from the ancient Vedas, learn it all, but that's just an intellectual exercise at that point until you actually embody that or start to practice what, what those teachings are. Exactly. So, an example. Yeah. so maybe this would be a good time to read uh, 76.9, which was another really great overview of the, of the systems of study here. Um, and I don't even know if we referenced this before in these recorded discussions, but um, this is worth mentioning over and over to people, I think. Um, Ra asked, is there any present day value for the reuse of the Turo as an aid to the, in the evolutionary process? And Ra said, we shall repeat information. It is appropriate to study one form of constructed and organized distortion of the archetypical mind in depth in order to arrive at the position of being able to become and to experience archetypes at will. You have three basic choices. You may choose astrology, the 12 signs, as you call these portions of your planet's energy web, and what has been called the 10 planets. We're down to eight planets now, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Changed history. <laughs> well, I'd say poor Pluto, but really poor Maldek, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, Pluto's at least still there. It just got relegated by name. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you may choose the Tarot with its 22 so-called major arcana. And you may choose the study of the so-called Tree of Life with its 10 sephirot, and 22 relationships between the stations, um, which I should again pull up if I can here. Um, just to show people that these lines in between the the ten sephirot are the the twenty two in number, right? Yeah. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, you never actually experience the energies of the sephirot directly. You experience them in relationship to each other. I see. I suppose it's that way with astrology to some degree that we're experiencing the blending of the energies from the different planets. Yeah. The relationships between would... those planets. It's always a state of motion, which the Chinese actually have documented really well in what they call the I Ching, which is the book of change. And that might be why the uh, Ra references studying to the Tara in relation to each other. Yeah. It seems to be a concept that's, that's uh, eons old. I find it interesting that he that he when he talks about studying the ten planetary systems or, or ten planetary bodies in the solar system, um, and then you look at something like uh, I, don't, I don't exactly remember the shape, but if you look at the poles of certain planets, they have like a pentagon and a hexagon and and these things. Uh, it, it's you know there's there's sacred geometry happening at the poles. There's radio frequencies coming off of the planets. You know, like there's so much to get into, even when he's just saying like, go go study the 10 planetary bodies. There's so much more than this one is this far from the sun and this one is this dense and this one is gaseous, gaseous and this one is solid and it's made of these minerals. But there's all those subtle things once again. So it's it's never just studying the, the tarot card or the, the tree of life or the 10 planetary systems, there's all these subtle energies and subtle wisdoms to all three sets. Yeah. I still feel like a beginner in all these, basically. Yeah. I feel like, <clears throat> and I'm biased, obviously, since I chose one of these three paths, but I still feel that um, both astrology and the tarot are reflections or um, resultant and I understand that the tree of life is still the result of you know the injection of information or the comprehension of that information by mankind so I still get that that's still reflective and yet to me it still seems more like the blueprint whereas the planetary bodies are the building and the tarot is you know something somewhere in between but still more of a reflection because it's these images that are meant to reflect the underlying energies and i feel like if you knew enough about either the tara or the planetary bodies you could <laughs> say the same thing about them i think that your extensive knowledge of the tree of life lends that idea to you but you know if you knew that Mars puts off a radio signal that is this frequency and that frequency when you 
even, you know, play it through cymatics turns into this sacred geometry and that sacred geometry means love, you know, that, right, that. but it's not it's not emanating it is the point my point is that it's just another in a long string of fractalized blueprints that are built one on top of uh of the next yeah i think that all of these different uh ways of studying are are this are the stuff that Ra's talking about it's an ancient knowledge that is being put into something that the people of this planet can understand. And, you know, the tree of life is, is, was for the ancient Hebrews and the, the planetary bodies are for the uh, astronomers and, you know, these people to study. And then you got the terror for the people that really got to have a grasp on the ancient Egyptology and the hieroglyphs. The, the, but the concepts that, that imbue each one of those studies with the meaning that they have, those concepts are universal. Um, well, again, I wouldn't say that astrology is, it can be a means of study, but it's a, it's like reading signs on the side of the road. You can learn where you are by looking at what's present and telling you, you know, here's what's going on, but the sign doesn't make the location. It just tells you where you are. It's, it's all, it's all an intersection of energies. Yeah. It's just, it's just what, it, what is the, what is the nature of the, and it's so profound to me that when, when we're born, that specific moment yeah. is the determining factor of our personality because we've stepping into a choice of a metaphysical vibration, which is completely uh, expressed in that, in that, in that specific location that we're born, specific time we're born and the, the orientation of all energies in relation to us. And everything gets down to like this. I mean, assume it's like an infinitely complex um, decision that is the one decision we made to have that one experience of an incarnation. That's so so profound to me that the the planets have that resonance. But then at the same time, you could say that there there is the the, the correspondence to the tarot and to the um, the sephirot and the tree of life all wrapped it up in the in the archetypal energies of that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've we've talked about it before where it just seems like that that no matter what which of these disciplines you choose that the undercurrent of all of them are trying to get you to these truths about the reality that we live in yeah so this is what they said about astrology they said the root of astrology as you speak it is one way of perceiving the primal distortions it's one way of perceiving the primal distortions which may be predicted along probability-possibility lines, given the, shall we say, cosmic orientations and configurations at the time of the entrance into the physical-mental complex of the spirit at, and at the time of the physical-mental-spiritual complex into the illusion. Um, and they're, they're distinguishing between the moment of conception and the moment of birth here, I think. Um, this then has the possibility of suggesting basic areas of distortion. There is no more than this. The part astrology plays is likened unto that of one root among many. Hmm. Yeah, I guess we could continue on now. Um, so it's well to investigate each discipline, each of these three, um, not as a dilettante, 
I feel like I keep wanting to define that people. A dilettante is a person who cultivates an area of interest such as the arts without real commitment or knowledge. So they're saying to some degree, be, be focused and have some commitment to investigation um, as one who seeks the touchstone, one who wishes to feel the pull of the magnet. One of these studies will be more attractive to the seeker. Let the seeker then, <laughs> that's just a fact to raw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Let the seeker then investigate the archetype typical mind using basically one of these three disciplines. After a period of study, the discipline mastered sufficiently. The seeker may then complete the more important step that is the moving beyond the written in order to express it in a in unique fashion. It's understanding, if you may, again, pardon the noun, of the archetypical mind. So that's similar to the last sentence of the last one that we were. Yeah. They're kind of emphasizing that beyond study, you then need to apply this. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what they said here at the top two. Um, in order to arrive at the position of being able to become to become and to experience archetypes at will. Though they don't necessarily talk about what the inherent value of that is. I think for us, that seems to be implicit, but. Well, they, Don asked that in a different one. Uh, um, I think that was, um, I can find that quickly by searching for the, the exact phrase new mind, I think. Um, yeah, so how is the knowledge of the facets of the archetypical mind used by the individual to accelerate his evolution? And this was the only example like this that they gave, as far as I'm aware. Uh, it, but this was this is a great foundation for understanding this. They say, we shall offer an example based upon the first explored archetype or concept complex, which was the magician, the consciousness. The conscious mind of the adept may be full to bursting of the most abstruse, and unmanageable of ideas so that further ideation becomes impossible and work in blu-ray or indigo is blocked through overactivation. so this is one state that a person may find themselves in when your mind is so bursting full of thoughts that it's it's difficult to go further in evolution it is then that the adept would call upon the new mind untouched and virgin and dwell within the archetype of the new and unblem unblemished mind without bias, without polarity, full of the magic of the logos. So this is becoming the matrix of the mind, becoming the magician, becoming consciousness itself, coming back to consciousness that has nothing in it, no biases, no polarity. And that is the consciousness which is the most full of the magic of the logos. Hmm. in the archetype of the new and unblemished mind without bias but <clears throat> are they referring to is that the great way this is referring to just the magician as far as i can tell huh. that almost sounds like the one that we were reading earlier where they were talking about uh, he was talking about faith and to go into things without uh, 
we were saying like motivation, but he, he put it in a different way, but it's like going, going into the uh, situation without any of your, you know, biases from your experiences prior. Yeah. Even without polarity, they're saying here. Yeah. yeah. Uh. And they said full of the magic of the logos, you know, so we're not talking about the sun or, or the galaxy, you know, we're talking about the logos, the, the universe at that point, you know, the universal mind. One could also suggest that it's extremely difficult to come all the way back to the magic of the logos and the original thought, you could even say, Ooh. dropping off all the biases and desires for thoughts that are separate from that original thought. Yeah, that's what, I, like when I was saying earlier how I spent 45 minutes on that one passage, I felt like I was in that place because the, the statement where they said the first distortion is free will struck me in such a way that I had to like completely imagine what it would be like to not have free will. And then I went down this, this like thought experiment, you know, what would it be like to not have free will? What would it look like? What would life look like? And all these different things, you know, that, that seems to be what they're describing right there. Almost like a thought experiment. Yeah. So maybe we could dive into the magician next time. I feel like, yeah, we're getting closer to the end here. And and they they went over all the meaning of all these symbols. Um, and the fact that it relates to what we just said is the most profound thing, too. Um, you, you know, he, there, there's the checkers, uh, checkered board pattern representing the, the polarity sort of as a foundation here of potential um, with the caged bird. Um, not yet outstretching its wings, not yet pursuing that that direction of of seeking. Yeah, and I think that we should definitely um, maybe we could do it off of one of the chats, but we should definitely get together at some point and just kind of get an aggregate of all the different times and ways they talk about the significator, the potentiator. And the matrix and kind of come up with a an aggregate definition of them because it's it's just so shotgunned all over the place within the material to to come up with one specifically that we could reference when when uh talking about each tarot would be nice hey mike have you uh have you played with uh chat gpt with these pdfs yet i imagine you did with the I, plugins i have not yet I haven't either. I've done it a little bit with um, Paul Selig's first book, um, but I'd be curious to know how ChatGPT would interoperate with the data. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Maybe I'll play with that offline and see if there's anything interesting there. I, I will say this. I've asked ChatGPT about the law of one and version 3.5 when you ask it to quote the law of one, it will give you wrong quotes, almost <laughs> exclusively wrong quotes. They're just like making up things. And then version four is almost always right, but still not completely right. But I feel like it's improving at least. So for people out there who feel like this is just a very untrustworthy um, way to get information, I feel like that's, that's true for the free version. <laughs> and for the paid version, it's less true. It's still partially true though. So... Yeah, I want to see how the PDF 
uh, plugins specifically. I'm, I've worked with two of them so far, but I'd like to know how those will do because yeah. I, it's supposed to limit it supposedly to yeah to what you upload. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and there's different concepts I'm barely understanding with the context window, but that's is a whole other discussion for another time, I guess. Yep. Um, so yeah, I definitely wanted to get to this um, discussion of the significator here. Um, so the question was, um, following up after 78.19, I'll read both of these. So the original first evolution, we didn't, we didn't want to get into the veil talking talking about the veil, but um, so so uh, yeah, I'll just I'll just read this. So the original first evolution then was planned by the logos, but the first distortion was not extended to the product. This is Don's way of talking about humans, basically. Um, at some point, this first distortion was extended into humans, and the first service to self-polarity emerged. Is this correct? And if so, could you tell me the history of the process and emergence? As a proem or preamble, let me state that the logoi always conceived of themselves as offering free will to the sub-logoi in their care. The sub-logoi had freedom, the suns, the stars, had freedom to experience and experiment with consciousness, the experiences of the body, and the illumination of the spirit. So they already had that, that freedom. That having been said, we shall speak to the point of your query. The first logos to instill what you now see as free will in the full sense and its sub-logoi came to this creation due to contemplation and depth of the concepts or possibilities of conceptualizations of what we have called the significators. So these significator archetypes were something that the Logos had to consider. What were the possibilities of the significators? The Logos posited the possibility of the mind, the body, and the spirit as becoming complex. In order for the significator to be what it is not, it must then be granted the free will of the creator. This set in motion a quite lengthy, in your terms, series of Logoi improving or distilling this seed thought. The key was the significator becoming a complex. So these images here, uh, when you get down to the significator, these three images are basically the product of what they originally said is a simple and unified concept. Significator is a simple and unified concept before the veiling. The explore, exploration of free will extended further into um, beings through a veil over our conscious mind, between our conscious and unconscious minds. That veiling is, I believe it's encoded into these, these images now because this is an expression of the of the complex potentials. There's a, a there's a polarity here in the significator of mind, which is the hierophant, it's like a priest. Um, the two different potentials of, of positive and negative servants, it seems like. Um, I'm not sure what those those guys represent, but we can talk about that another time too. Um, and then the hanged man is the significator of the body or the martyr as they also call it. And then the son um, has male and female um, as the significator of the, of the spirit. Um, and each of these becoming more complex is a process of 
people having more potentials for exploration and service to self-polarity didn't exist before the potential of of evil as we know it came into being through this contemplation look at that last line the key was the significator becoming a complex so did the archetype become a complex when the veil was drawn or yeah and then it also says in order for the significator to be what it is not. So that seems like that would be the purpose, right? Right. So in this case, if we were to draw a parallel between our own divine realization, is that what this is referring to? In order for the significator to be or become or to realize itself, it has to have the free will of the creator, although they don't really differentiate between what this full free will and the previous one were. Hmm. Well, in order to, to be what it is not, uh, sounds to me like in order for the experience to have um, experiences other than love of all things then it had to that the complex had to be brought in the veil had to be dropped and the fact that you're not you're not aware of the fact that all things are one therefore you don't recognize that loving someone else is actually loving yourself you know that that's what the uh, to be what it is not means to me where he's you know you know that if you know that everything is you you're going to love everything because you know it's it's coming back it's 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 all it's it's you know you're just putting into the pool of love that that everything shares whereas if you have to become something that you're not like so then you would be becoming unaware that when you put love out it goes into the pool so then that's how you know the the, the catalyst of loving self instead of loving other selves happened because by default you would always love other selves because you know the other selves are yourself. So you had to become not that. Yeah, I can see it moving in either direction because you can also yeah. see it as moving into separation and in order for the significator to know itself through separation, it had to have complete free will in order to choose an experience reflective of separation. Right. And so that gives you the opportunity for what's described here in the, these other two quotes I wanted to bring up. At session 83, the question was, what techniques and methods of penetration of the veil were planned, and are there any others that have occurred other than those planned? And Ross said, there were none planned by the first great experiment, as all experiments, and the great experiment is the veiling, the extension of free will to humans. As all experiments, this rested upon the nakedness of hypothesis. The outcome was unknown. It was discovered experientially and empirically that there were as many ways to penetrate the veil as the imagination of mind-body-spirit complexes could provide. The desire of mind-body-spirit complexes to know that which was unknown drew them to the dreaming and the gradual opening to the seeker of all of the balancing mechanisms leading to adepthood and communication with learned teachers which could pierce this veil. The various go ahead well i just thought that last part was interesting when i read that this morning as well um balancing mechanisms kind of 
suppose that makes sense, but both of these start to imply um, information. So balancing mechanisms are, you know, just like we learn here in the law of one and any other wisdom traditions that we pursue, but also communication with teach learners. So they're, they're getting out of the abstract here. And, and to me, telling me that that desire to know what is unknown will call not just knowledge, but also teachers in specifically to help pierce the veil. And that makes me wonder about lineage and, you know, the energetic handing down of information and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like the, the old quote, when you're ready to learn, the guru will appear. Yeah. The yeah. self, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, yourself in the form of your, you know, outside guru, that, that other person, but there is a, a great quote by Alan Watts, and he says, uh, um, he's like, you go to your guru, and he looks into your eyes, and you're nervous because you know that your guru can see everything in you, and you know all the terrible thoughts that you've had, and this scares you. And he looks at you in that funny way, not because he sees all the terrible things that you may be thinking, but he looks at you in that funny way because he's saying, uh, he's saying Shiva, which is basically he's seeing the Godhead in you. He says, Shiva, old boy, I see you there playing this fool. And I have all these worries, but I see you there. Don't try and fool me. I know who you are. I think that was Ram Das when he tells the story of meeting his guru and, and thinking his bad thoughts and, and he said all of my stuff. Um, Ram Das touches on it too. Uh, in, uh, in, in the um, going home, I think it is the the thing on Netflix. Uh, I mean, they all touch on it because it's a, it's a fundamental truth. He also says, "And if you don't think you have a guru, I'll lend you mine." <laughs> so yeah, just love yeah. that. <laughs> I like um, uh, what did um, the monkey? Why am I blanking on this? Hanuman. Who who is Hanuman talking to in the garden? yeah I'm, I'm having a brain fart but hanuman uh i think it was shiva shiva said to hanuman brahma one brahma one of the godheads said to hanuman monkey who are you and he said when i know who i am i am you when i don't know who i am i serve you essentially mm-hmm. like you know we're all one and when i know who i am i know that you're me and i'm you but when i don't know who i am uh, you know we, we all serve in the same thing so we're getting closer to the end um so maybe i'll do one more here on the the veiling um i did like that last paragraph though i thought it was important okay yeah the various unmanifested activities of the self were found to be productive in some degree of penetration of the veil in general, we may say that by far the most vivid and even extra- extravagant opportunities for the piercing of the veil are a result of the interaction of polarized entities. That's us. It does yep. go go on to explain that a little bit more below in the different ways, the doubling and all that, but still, yeah. I thought that was important. Yeah. yeah. Could you expand on what you mean by the interaction of polarized entities and piercing the veil? So we shall state two items of note. The first is the extreme potential for polarization in the relationship of two polarized entities which have embarked upon the service to others path 
or in some few cases, the service to self path. Secondly, we would note that effect, which we have learned to call the doubling effect, those of like mind, which together seek shall far more surely find. Mm. I like that. Yeah. And that yeah. speaks to the whole, uh, you know, like when Andrew, uh, you, we get together, I bring the Ayurvedic side and you bring the Kabbalah side to it. But, you know, it's just, we're just bringing two different disciplines into expand our, our knowledge and, and it does have that doubling effect to be able to get your insights from one discipline and my insights from another discipline just makes it that much more clear when you sit and you talk about it. Yeah, I've kind of furthered my notion of the idea of a vortex that gets created to pull in lighter information and that it seems that having two or more perspectives is what allows it to spin. Yeah. Um, so anyway, probably a topic for another day but and then in 85 here i picked out number 19 the spider just went down to the potentiator spirit <laughs> <laughs> oh random it's like it's finding so much shade back there or something i don't know so it's going to be like when you watch a racing event and they have the track at the bottom and it shows you where each car is on the track. You're going to have to have a spider tracker in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen there. <laughs> so this question was also about the veiling. Um, I would like to carry on to find out what specific functions of the mind were most effectual and the three or four most effective changes brought about to create polarization. This is after the veiling. Uh, and Ross said the primary veiling was of such significance that it may be seen to be analogous to the mantling of the earth over all the jewels within the earth's crust, whereas previously the facets of the creator were consciously known. After the veiling, almost no facets of the creator were known to the mind. Almost all was buried beneath the veil. If one were to attempt to list those functions of the mind most significant, and that they may be of aid at polarization, one would need to begin with the faculty of visioning, envisioning, or far-seeing. Without the veil, the mind was not caught in your illusory time. With the veil, space-time is the only obvious possibility for experience. It says that it's the only obvious possibility. It doesn't say that it's the only possibility. Right. And that's where the visioning, the envisioning, and the far-seeing goes. That that goes back to the concept, uh, Mike, you and I talked about it, where uh, like meditating, clearing the mind, or like meditating on something to a, a, attain, you know, greater understanding of it. Yeah. Like visioning, envisioning, and far-seeing. Yeah. I mean, Russell Targ has books written on the government employing... Um, uh, uh, what is it when you see something in another location? Why am I remote like, viewing? Remote viewing, yeah. I mean, you know, if if you're if you're one of those normies that's coming into this and you're like, ah, if it's not written down or the government hasn't invested in it, then it's not real. I'm telling you that they did, man, and and he wrote books about it. Yeah. Vivanka talks about it too, right? John Vivanka, I think it is. Yeah. 
But I mean, it's totally possible. If you can focus your mind, you can see things. They've talked about seeing things on distant planets, but you know, even, even less obvious than seeing, you know, with your eyes pictures, you can see truths. You know, if you sit and you, if you don't think that the only possibility is for experience and you, you think that you can get it through meditation, you will. Mm -hmm. This next paragraph, I have a little bit of bristling about because I don't remember any of my dreams. <laughs> also upon the list of significant veiled functions of the mind would be that of dreaming. The so-called dreaming contains a great deal, which if made available to the conscious mind and used shall aid it in polarization to a great extent. Yeah. Not part but of just, my experience, unfortunately. Yeah. Just, just one way of, of getting deeper into the mind. Yeah. Well, maybe that your experience is specifically not to remember your dreams so that you could more deeply dive into the envisioning, the visioning, and the tree of life. Yeah, I do think that there's specific reasons why we um, come in with certain uh, limitations or constructs in mind. Yeah. And the third function of the mind, which is significant and which has been veiled, is that of the knowing of the body. The knowledge of and control over the body having been lost to a great extent in the veiling process is thusly lost from the experience of the seeker. Its knowledge before the veiling is of small use. Its knowledge after the veiling and in the face of what is now a dense illusion of separation of body complex from mind complex is quite significant. And they don't give an example here, but I think in other points they talk about like cancer. It's like a person can have cancer, have no idea why they have cancer, no idea how the thoughts of anger may have manifested that cancer. But if you could know, you could resolve that issue immediately by just tracing up that distortion and then forgiving self and other self and healing that that original um, deeper mind issue that is now manifesting in the physical dimensions because we can't perceive the, the distortion in the inner plane dimensions yet. So... I think that um, it was it was it was either Royal Raymond Rife or T. Townsend Brown um, who was experimenting with vibrational healing of cancer. Um, when you read some of their stuff, if you then apply that everything is vibration and you think of a certain emotion as a certain frequency, and one of those guys was taking the cancer and they would hit it with different frequencies and it would break up the cancer. So essentially what they were finding was the cancer had a frequency. And if you hit it with its opposite frequency, it would break it up. So if you knew what the frequency of the cancer was and you knew the opposite frequency, you could then apply that to knowing what the, op what the frequency of the emotion was that made it go there and what right. the opposite frequency or emotion was to help heal it. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like there's there's also you know uh, a deeper mind component to the alternative healing methods too that we when yeah. we tap into the the belief that we that we can magically retune our reality, then I think that liberates us emotionally on some level too. That's kind of connected to this this greater power that we can have over our physical reality. And that goes back to the the um, two paragraphs up. It's the only obvious possibility for the experience. And it's, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, we, we live in a society 
that says the only obvious way to heal cancer is chemotherapy. Well, you know, not necessarily the only possibility, but that seems like the only obvious one. Yeah. It's amazing that when you start looking at these things and you start looking at how uh, just changing one little concept in your mind can change your whole reality. And then the next one, they said, uh, the fourth one, the, perhaps the most important and significant function that occurred due to the veiling of the mind from itself is not in itself a function of mind, but rather is a product of the potential created by this veiling, that this is the faculty of will or pure desire. And I, they described this at other points too, that the, you know, the desire to know that which is unknown mm-hmm. is an automatic enhancer of the faculty of will or pure desire. Yeah, and that's that goes back to the whole to play to play poker and knowing everybody else's hand. You know, you have to become a better poker player if you don't see the other people's cards. Yeah. Which that's a reference to a previous raw session. I can't remember if it was in these recordings or the other recordings. I don't want somebody just yeah. thinking I'm waxing intellectually about uh, poker. <laughs> I think we did talk about it in the last one a month ago. Okay. Okay. That was such a good one. Maybe we should do that one repeatedly because that's kind of a central quote, the poker game analogy. Yeah. Well, and then it also applies to this where they were talking about how, you know, if you had pain in your arm before the veil between the body and the mind happened, you could just shut the receptors off and stop feeling the pain in your arm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's another quote. That's, so maybe veiling deserves further discussion in a future episode too, because there's so many other quotes on the, these subjects. Um, I guess that was the end of this. Um, yeah, they were just talking about Carl Ruckert and this final paragraph here. We miss, We wish not to misuse this instrument. All right. Um, I guess we're at the end of our two-hour mark, which is arbitrarily decided by me, apparently. <laughs> All right, we don't want to misuse our instruments. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you need some more rest, Mike. Yeah, yeah, and more playtime with the baby, our toddler. Now that could be a form of rest. Yeah, maybe not physical rest, but rest of the mind and the chaotic world around it. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, Daniel's that perfect representation, like you were saying, to to have faith to walk into. The next situation with no uh, predispositions, he literally walks through life, you know, experiencing everything for the first time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wild how much he can be affected by every little thing too. Whenever there's a car crash on TV, he he takes it very much emotionally, like this is something deep, deep and painful that he's seeing, and he starts getting very upset. Even if it's just a kid's cartoon. It's amazing what can what can happen. Because he's just this blank slate of consciousness. And to embody the consciousness of a cartoon, that's next level. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if you guys have any other thoughts, things you want to talk about in future sessions, just let me know anytime. Um, Will do. I think, pleasure as always. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You guys have a great rest of your weekend. You too. You too. You guys as well.